I would like to invite you to take a moment, a place of grounding, a place of centering, and just to take this opportunity to acknowledge that at any given moment, we are hurtling at 60,000 miles an hour or more in orbit around our sun, around our star. And breathing in and breathing out with the intention to settle in and slow down at this rate. Breathing in and breathing out, also recognizing at any given moment, we are on access going at 1,100 miles an hour in a rotation while hurtling at 60,000 miles an hour. And as you breathe in and breathe out, simply recognizing you are keeping your shit together. You are grounded and you are paying a deep homage to trusting yourself. Breathing in and breathing out Simply take this moment to recognize your resiliency, your courage, and what I would call your faith in this experience. Breathing in and breathing out, allowing yourself to center find grounding, and reconnect to this moment in your body. Hi, it's Ryan. Welcome to your weekly dose of The Psychedelic Psychologist, where I invite my guests to share stories about their psychedelic experiences. We cover a variety of topics from overcoming addiction and severe depression to finding wholeness and spiritual emergence. Today, you're going to hear from one of my guests who I am deeply honored and bow humbly to Matthew. Matthew, how are you coming in today? Coming in with gratitude and a bit of nerves, but I'm happy to be here. It, it means a tremendous amount to allow you to feel into those nerves. When you feel those nerves and knowing that we're talking about the medicine, the magic of the medicine, what are you acknowledging within yourself? Well, first I, I just breathe. I've been a longtime yoga practitioner and it's just the most useful trick or tool to just acknowledge when you're feeling unsettled. What was the other part of the question? This is what I love about this is just the idea of when you feel the uncanny nerves, what is it telling you? Um, I'd like to think it's my body telling me that, that there's something going on that I should pay attention to. I usually just, you know, what I used to think of as nerves or bubble gut or, you know, butterflies in my stomach. Now I just think of it's, it's, it's connecting with, with the source. And it's, I just think there's some, there's something going on in, in my, usually it's my like gut and that I just need to pay attention, I guess. I love it. And you and I, before we were quote unquote recording, we're recognizing the reality and the deep relationship that many people aren't talking about, which is psychedelics is in a way a training ground, teaching 
a lesson of sorts and it's not always unicorns, roses and fluffy cotton candy. What are you acknowledging in your homage to picking up the invitation to psychedelics? Oh, what a question. <clears throat> when I'm what in my in my day-to-day life because believe it or not a psychedelic lawyer does not always <laughs> isn't always under the influence of a medicine. Most of the time I'm just dealing with the same kind of stressors that everyone else is. And prior to having personal experience with psychedelics, I only knew one state of mind. And now I understand that from from using psychedelics and, and learning about them, you understand like just how much control you have over your state of mind at any given point. And when you're working with medicine or on a psychedelic journey or or what have you, however you want to describe it, you're inevitably going to have moments where it's less than pleasant in in my experience anyway. And I think that's fairly consistent with the folks that I have have talked about this with or, or listened to or read about. And it's those difficult experiences and getting through them in a, in a heightened state that can be really powerful and important and helpful reminders for in your day-to-day life. Yeah. Um, And what I love about just the inflection of your voice right now and the magnitude of what you're sharing with me is this idea that it's not for the faint of heart. And it's not to suggest that it's a sadistic experience where we're just going in to be annihilated or destroyed in our ego. But in a way, what I'm hearing you is sharing a reverence of the magnitude of what can happen. And I see you smiling, hitting you. That word reverence came up during a recent trip to Mexico City, where we were just talking about respect for the medicines. And I just kind of observed in a conversation with some friends that you don't see much reverence for anything anymore. But I, in a, I, but I do see, I do see a very, there's a, there's a, a healthy respect for psychedelics, both for their potential and, and what they can do for you, but also for the experience uh, in certain corners more than others of this, I guess we're calling it an industry now, <laughs> in particular, <laughs> particularly like the, the indigenous ceremonial use, you do see folks don't take this quite as lightly as, as they do m- most things today. And it's, it's encouraging and refreshing. Well, I deeply connect with your saying and you've, shared a little bit of your cards, but this idea of it now becoming an industry, you still holding reverence to it and paying homage to what it's done for you personally, and yet walking the tightrope of our lovely concrete sequential laws, bylaws, and the way we live in this world. How do you personally reconcile all these different messages being downloaded on you at any given moment what are you doing to i guess filter it it's it's difficult um juggling you know on one part of my day i'll be advising a therapist on establishing academy in practice another has maybe their their license is in jeopardy because of a perceived infraction by a regulator and Another is a, a startup that's fundraising and it'd be easy to lose the forest for the trees and just kind of start treating these clients like any other like business client. But 
then I just have to remind myself that almost everyone that I come into contact with is drawn to this area out of probably a combination of exciting career choice, but also personal experience with the medicines and that, that we are trying to do something different. So I just try to kind of remind myself that constantly. And, and from that act from a place of compassion and love and not get impatient or frustrated with the minutia, because we, I think we all operate on, on different planes and psychedelics definitely teach you that. So on the one level, I'm, you know, doing paperwork and I'm writing letters or I'm making phone calls or I'm scheduling appointments or whatever, or driving somewhere on another level, we're trying to change the world. And so mm. it's just like a reminder that we've got to get through the, the day-to-day drudgery so that we can like first change laws, then I think change minds, then change lives. That's really beautiful. And what I am hearing is a resounding mindfulness practice of meeting people with their intentions. And not to, you know, go back in time, but what I love that you said that that shiny object might not be the reason why you should dive into this quote unquote interest industry. The shiny object is not the best reason for tapping into psychedelics, right? Because of the magnitude of shadow work or anything else that brings you a hundred percent. I mean, first of all, if you're looking to get rich, this is the wrong industry because it's inherently not scalable. And there are definitely drug development companies that would take issue with that characterization as the research has demonstrated the real power of psychedelics is in the, the connection that they can facilitate. And that starts with psychedelic assisted therapy. It's not just drugs in a vacuum. It's not just isolated experiences. It's, it's really about <clears throat> integrating these, these really challenging and, 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 and hard to understand experiences with the help of somebody who has experience in training, working with patients. <clears throat> so that's the, the one shiny object. The other shiny object is a lot of people have, I think, are exposed to psychedelics at first in a slightly more recreational setting. I think that's probably fair to say. I know everybody comes to this from a, from a different angle, but at least in the U.S., I'd say most most people are introduced to psychedelics in a in a yeah in a, in a recreational context. But that's that's missing the point. I think for me, it's I I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with with recreational drug use as long as it's in moderation and done intentionally in a safe, a safe container. Like there's we've we've somehow been programmed to think that fun is fun is bad or something. I don't, I don't know where that came from. It's the Protestant. Right. It feels good. Shut it down. Right. Right. So sex, drugs, rock and roll, all that, all the good things. But I think you've sooner, sooner or later, and probably sooner than later, most people I'd like to think will come around to the real power of these medicines, which is growth and self-improvement and making your life better and in doing so making the lives of those around you better. And so like, that's not fun. That's not shiny. That's hard work. And I don't think it ever stops. Right. And that's what I love about this pivot right there is you shining a light and really bringing glimmer to what I'm hoping to dive into with you 
is the hard work because there's no way in hell I personally am going to be doing this recreationally, you know, so much that I take it lightly. And tell me about your personal story about what is your interpersonal relationship with medicine and what are you using it for actively yeah. and what, what has it done for you? Uh, to answer that question, I got to, I kind of have to go back a little, I came from, I come from an amazing, loving family in Cincinnati, Ohio, but not a family that had be here now or anything on the table, on the coffee table, right? We just fairly, fairly lower, lower case C conservative. And so, and I was a, I was a dare kid, you know, I, I grew up in, I was, I was born in the eighties and grew up in the nineties in public school where, where dare was the, the law of the land and just, just hook, line and sinker, just believed it, drank the, drank the, the Kool-Aid. And I thought, I mean, I, I had plenty of experience with cannabis from a fairly young age as a early, as a teenager, but I don't know, was, was adequately scared by adults and authority figures about, about drugs in general. So LSD would put holes in your chromosomes and ketamine was a horse tranquilizer and uh, you know, all the, all the other wives tales or propaganda, if you want to call it that. <clears throat> and so I didn't, I, I didn't come to the medicine personally or professionally until I guess my thirties. I was a healthcare lawyer for 10 years in Chicago and DC and mainly focused on our highly dysfunctional Western medical system, hospitals and healthcare systems and payer contracting and lobbying and just all kinds of stuff. And I, I was drawn to that practice area because I had healthcare professionals in my family and wanted to do some good in the world without taking organic chemistry and becoming a doctor. And so I, I pursued a, a healthcare law track and then once I was once I was in the belly of the beast in 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 litigating in Chicago and doing policy and advocacy work in DC, I just realized this is just like it's you I don't think we can fix it. And I kind of that that was discouraging. And so I Colorado legalized cannabis in around 2015 was when things were really being implemented. And so I quit my I quit my job and moved out here. And the plan was to get into cannabis because I believed in the healing powers of that plant. And I also think it's ludicrous that we have certain plants that will put you in jail. So um, did, did cannabis work for a couple of years and then the pandemic hit and i had also just gotten a divorce and was struggling personally. And so I was, I was introduced to some of these medicines by friends who had experience working with them and, and knew how to consume and enjoy some of these drugs safely and how to, how to heal with them. And it just, I mean, that was it. That was my, my, my career, my career path and my personal path merged. Mm. And I just like, it, I don't, I don't feel like this was a choice. It, it was just like, I know calling is corny, right. But it was just so obvious to me what I needed to do that I didn't, I didn't really look back. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing with me your story and knowing your story, the medicine has unlocked a great deal of personal growth and reconciling of your own story. What are you integrating at this moment? What are you working with and toiling with not just professionally, but personally, how are you symbiotically living within relationship with the medicine? But first, I think any work that you do on yourself isn't personal or professional. It's just 
because we're not like we're we're, we're not compartmentalized right I, yeah. I was <laughs> i tried to act like that for a long time like uh -huh. being, being dissatisfied with my job but attempting unsuccessfully to turn it off when i got home so i could be you know pleasant to be around and i i was not i was not succeeding at that and now that now that i actually am passionate about this work this this career work it's a lot easier but but that's that's going well i really like what i'm doing and i really like what's happening in colorado i'd say the the work that i'm focused on right now is psychedelics help me re help me notice when i'm acting in a way that's not in alignment with who i want to be so whereas i guess before a few years ago maybe I would, I would like just, you know, something would upset me and I wouldn't notice that I was upset. It was just, that's my state. That's, that's like a non-negotiable or something. And now I realize that like on a, on a chemical and physiological basis, I know what's going on, right? We're talking about neurotransmitters and we're talking about brain axis and your microbiome and sleep and things like that. So you like, you have, you have this toolkit and then, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm grumpy. Why is that? Oh, I need to eat or I didn't get enough sleep or I need to, it's too loud in here for me to work or whatever. Or uh, yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's like, I'm working on not being impatient because these medicines have helped me see. So like quickly when I, when I go, when I revert back to that habit or if I'm being, if I'm trying to control everything, then I just notice, like, hey, man, first of all, like control is an illusion. We're all, like you said, hurtling through space on a rock. And um, so it's it's just the ability, practicing, noticing my state of mind, checking myself, making sure that that I'm just being the kind of person I want to be because, yeah. Yeah, there's this uh, there's this resonance of calibration when I'm listening to you say this. It's a constant calibration and it doesn't mean we're banging out microdosing every day or we're getting ready to do this heroic dose or checking in with any new aged tradition or protocol. But what I love about your representation of the relationship you have is it's a calibration of being aware and awake to your 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 lived experience. Mm -hmm. And for what it's worth, I'm not not great. <laughs> <laughs> Nor are, are any um, of us. As as you know, people have pointed out to me even recently that I do still have tendencies. And when I'm not taking good care of myself, I have a tendency to slip into bad habits because they're part of me. Like that's, that's my shadow, right? Right. That's, Thank and, you. And to ignore that is to live in a fantasy world, right? Like, fuck yeah. And then what I want to pause on that is just really go down the rabbit hole of helping everybody yourself included and myself just speaking to myself louder and more articulate is the minute we think these medicines are going to solve something or protect us or walk lighter is completely as you use the term illusion it's an illusion we we need to actively walk with them honor them but know we have to pick up the shovel and do the digging and do the trench work Right. I mean, that's, that's pure ego talking when you, when you think that you're cured, uh, you can only cure a bacterial infection, right? Everything else is, 
the, these medicines are are helpful in, I mean, changing minds, right? Thanks, Michael mm-hmm. Pollan. Really, <laughs> thanks, Michael Pollan, for introducing like you know the general public to some of these ideas, mm-hmm. and, and I think they'll they'll catch up. I'd like to think, but yeah, I mean, just acknowledging your shadow is like the first step, and to to dealing with it because it's always there. Yeah, and I think. I feel and I understand what you're connecting with is being comfortable in the shadow is a large aspect of that, that titration or acclimation. If you can acclimate to the shadow, knowing that this isn't what you're lived in, or this isn't what your transparent state of being is you, you have an opportunity to go, okay, this is, this is a place that I have to integrate. I have to come to terms with and know that it's not my constant. Yeah. And it's like, we, like you say, you're depressed, right? That's, I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. You're like, you're going through a depression is a better way of looking at it. Or like, you know, you have PTSD. No, I mean, you've suffered trauma and and it's causing you distress, but, and it may never go away, but you can deal with it. And that's what, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what the medicine teaches you when you're using it. And hopefully the lesson that you draw from that experience and apply after the fact in your daily life and then just like lather, rinse, repeat. You just, there's no, there's no, as far as I'm aware, there's no finish line. There's no other way of looking at it. And I love it. And I haven't heard that way of saying it, but it's a great way to steal from head and shoulders. Mm-hmm. Lather, rinse, and repeat for sure. Because if you don't think of it that way, and it's not to say every day, it's not to say all the time, but it's to be conscious of it. Right. And hopefully, uh, with with time and experience and, and practice and effort, it gets to the point where you can stack a bunch of days on end where you can be proud of yourself. You know, you earned your you earned your keep that day. And, and there are going to be others that just remind you that, hey, this is a constant challenge to be your best self and ignore your ego and look at your shadow. And that's only like the, the personal stuff. Then there's the interpersonal stuff. Um, mm. Remembering that uh, the person that you're interacting with may not have had a great day that day and you'd offer them some grace because you'd like them to to return that favor, them or the next person, right? There's a ripple effect to this work. And that's what really excites me. I mean, we're, I think everybody's aware that society, I was going to say that society's crumbling. Everyone's aware that there are <laughs> some large, some large problems with our economically spiritually you keep going with the adverbs but matthew what you're saying though is super vital and it's a it's a frame of reference that i I think needs front stage which is this work isn't just designed for us to do it for ourselves or hear our hear or personalize our own traumas or reconcile our own story but to have grace to have dignity and have a breath of fresh air and space for your relationships in the world. I mean, to be able to show up that way, it's fucking outstanding. And that's, I mean, that's something I learned from like Buddhism Sunday school when I was exploring other belief systems and, and I don't, it's not a religion, but people call it that. What is, you know, you're doing this for the, for your benefit and the benefit of, of all sentient beings. So like not even just people, right? Dogs, cats, whatever. Um, and I think it, it it adds some gravity to the work 
if you're if you're just concerned with your own liberation or your own healing, I think that outlook is just inherently kind of self-centered. I mean, it's by definition self-centered. And yeah, I think you're missing the point if if you're just looking at your own healing and feeling good or something, and then you you go out and you're a jerk on the street or honking in traffic or whatever. Yeah. Let me pivot and take a little bit of a deer trail. When and how do you know it's time to dive? How do you make the conscious or reconcile the decision of to take a experience on or intentionally look at specific things? I don't know if I understood that one. Sorry. Yeah. Let me rephrase it in a more clear way. This is always good when I talk to a lawyer because they remind me I'm too wordy and go right to the fucking point. Let me say, when do you know it's time to do an experience? Okay. Boy, that's a, that is such a good question. It doesn't have to be some kind of event in your life. I don't think. And frankly, that may, a recent, a recent challenging life experience, you got to be careful because then you, I think you, there's a tendency, especially in our culture to just reach for a solution and in the form of a pill or a bottle or a whatever. And so you, what you don't want to do in my humble opinion, and in my experience is, is reach for these as a salve or a bandage or, or, um, or whatever. But if you're struggling with something, I think there's in the lead up to any kind of journey or experience or, or healing work, there's a lot of like mental prep. I, for me, there's a lot of mental preparation involved. You don't want to just jump into this. You're not going to get the benefit of the experience, but I just think it's like, when do you know, when do you know you need to go to the gym? Like you're feeling flabby or something, or you're just like not at your peak. These experiences, because they operate on our, you know, as agonists are, serotonin receptors they do cause you know feelings of pleasure right so you kind of know what the what the ceiling is maybe not the ceiling quite but you know what an elevated state feels like and i think the goal is to after the fact remember what that's like and try to try to uh, replicate that in your daily life because as we know, and as science has borne out recently in clinical trials and with, with research studies, like serotonin is produced, you know, in multiple places, a lot of it's in the gut and there's a way to recall that feeling and actually mimic it. Uh, mm. So if you remember that feeling of heightened sensations on a psychedelic, you can recall that when you're not on the drug, or, or at least some people can. And then, so you know what you want to feel like, right? And then you know when you're not, when you're not there. And if if it persists, then maybe it's not just that the person cut you off in traffic or you had a irritating day at work or something. Maybe it's that so there's something deeper going on, and and you need a little help. It's fantastic. Speak to me about. The idea of gentleness, I'm a firm believer and my mantra is be gentle. What are you doing for yourself to give yourself grace, space, and gentleness in your everyday life? Well, first of all, it's 
strange to be asked about gentleness because I don't think until a few years ago, anybody would have described me that way. I was like a pretty sensitive kid who was like, I like to say I was smart enough to go to law school and dumb enough to do it. I thought it was just, I don't know. I I think I I was a little arrogant at the time and I just thought this will be a piece of cake. It's not. And I, I think I had to develop a thick skin and a, and some sharp elbows to, and I don't know if this is my perception or if this is how it actually is, but I felt like I would get walked all over if I was like a nice Midwestern kid in these <clears throat> boardrooms and courtrooms. So I wasn't all that kind or gentle um, uh, to myself or to others. I think I was, I have high, high standards and I really expect a lot out of myself. And so I developed a critical inner voice that started to kind of spill over into the way I treated other people, frankly. So just remembering what it felt like to be that way and how I didn't like it is, is kind of how I try to stay on the path that I think I'm on today, which is just treating the world the way I want to be treated. Um, it, it doesn't always, the world doesn't always treat you how you want, but you at least have control over how you show up. And again, I'm not, I'm not perfect at that, but it's, it's an aspiration. Right. Imperfect in the striving of feeling it and also showing it. It's been a deep honor. Uh, I appreciate walking the path with you. I appreciate being able to hear your story and the intelligence, the clarity and the relationship you have with the medicines is humble. And I thank you for that. It's been a pleasure to connect with you, Ryan. I've enjoyed our conversations, including this one. And it's it's an honor. It's a pleasure to get to work with such amazing, compassionate people. That's It's one of the reasons that I'm so excited about this part of my career is the clients and the colleagues that, that are prominent in this space or who are just doing the day-to-day work and everything in between. There's just a through line of compassion and introspection that I have not found in any other part of my life. It's been a pleasure. Love it. That's where people bow to each other, then bow to each other, and then bow to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Serious, why so serious? (laughs) Um, The light in me recognizes that there's a light behind you. (laughs) 